This is a Rabble Podcast Network show. New voices in your head. It's Radio Free Radio. Hello and welcome to Alert Radio for people who want to change the world. I'm Jeff Hughes. And I'm Chris Alby. And we're broadcasting from wintry Winnipeg today. On our program today, Chris... We have Professor Henry Haller of the University of Manitoba talking about the NPA, which is a new anti-capitalist party in France. I'll be having a discussion with Joshua Blakeney. He is going to discuss the banning of British Member of Parliament George Galloway, who was refused entry into Canada recently. Unbelievable. I will also have a conversation with retired judge Jerry Paradis. He's speaking to us from North Vancouver. He's a member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and he'll be responding to the recent violence in B.C. and talking about this organization made up of former police officers and judges. That and much more on this week's edition of Alert Radio. These are the alert headlines for the week of March 26, 2009. The New Brunswick government slashed 700 jobs in last week's provincial budget. Public sector unions said that services to people and the economy in general will suffer as a result. 300 positions now vacant or occupied by people soon to retire will not be filled and another 400 employees will be laid off. None have been offered early retirement packages, according to the unions. The impact of 700 jobs being affected should ring loud and clear to New Brunswickers, said Tom Mann, executive director of the New Brunswick Union of Public and Private Employees. That's 700 people who are currently in positions providing services to them, Mann added. Canadian officials have denied outspoken anti-war British Member of Parliament George Galloway entry into Canada on grounds he poses a threat to national security. The government claims that he is a security risk because of his open support for Hamas. Critics have called the government's decision to bar Galloway an attack on free speech. Galloway called the ban outrageous. He is currently in the U.S., the Hamilton Coalition to Stop the War will hold an informational picket outside the office of local Conservative MP to, me- to demand that Galloway be admitted to Canada and be allowed to speak at the lectures scheduled between March 30th and April 2nd. Also, organizers of the speaking tour are planning a court challenge, failing which they plan to escort Galloway personally from the U.S. into Canada. Speaking on the occasion of World Water Day, First Nations National Chief Phil Fontaine commented that First Nations cannot always trust the water that comes out of their taps and that there are currently 109 First Nations communities under drinking water advisories. He urged the Government of Canada to join other countries at the United Nations in recognizing the right to water as a basic human right. The National Chief stated, Water knows no boundaries and is the lifeblood of the planet. First Nations have always taken care of and used the waterways, he said. The National Chief noted that the recent federal budget bill, C-10, includes changes to the Navigable Waters Protection Act that could threaten First Nations that rely on waterways. 
a series of audio tapes recorded at workshops held by the Ontario Progressive Conservative Campus Association show that the Conservative Party is trying to take over student organizations by any means necessary. The topics range from how to win a student union election to how to combat and remove funding for progressive student organizations such as the Ontario Public Interest Research Group and the Canadian Federation of Students. Even more disturbing is that these trainings are being organized with the support and resources of Canada's governing party, evidenced by the participation of Conservative Member of Parliament Peter Braid and his campaign manager. Protesters marched in the streets of France's biggest cities, Paris, Marseille and Lyon, in the second major strike in two months to protest against President Nicolas Sarkozy's economic policies and his government's response to the global recession. An estimated 2.6 million people joined 213 demonstrations across France, according to the Confederation Générale de Travail, one of nation's largest unions. Bernard Thibault, the secretary of the Workers' Confederation, said salaried workers won't any longer accept being the victims of this crisis, which they had nothing to do with. An Israeli military college has printed soldiers' accounts of killings of civilians and vandalism during recent operations in Gaza. One account tells of a sniper killing a mother and her children at close range, whom troops had told to leave their home. Another speaker at the seminar described what he saw as the cold-blooded murder of a Palestinian woman. The testimonies were published by the Military Academy at Ornim College. Graduates of the academy who had served in Gaza were speaking to new recruits at a seminar. The army said it would investigate the testimonies. Printed t-shirt made for Israeli soldiers make fun of shooting of pregnant Palestinian mothers and children and include images of dead babies and destroyed mosques. The T-shirts were discovered and reported on by Israeli's respected newspaper, Haaretz. One T-shirt depicts a Palestinian pregnant woman caught in the crosshairs of a rifle, with the caption in English reading, One shot, two kills. Another depicts a child in the target crosshairs. Perhaps the most shocking design shows a Palestinian mother weeping next to her dead baby's grave, also in the crosshairs of a rifle. The caption reads, Better use Durex a reference to a brand of condoms, suggesting the baby shouldn't have been born. The Israeli military says the soldiers involved in these incidents will be disciplined. Protest and direct action could be the only way to tackle soaring carbon emissions, a leading climate scientist has said. James Hansen, a climate modeler for, with NASA, told The Guardian newspaper that corporate lobbying has undermined democratic attempts to curb carbon pollution. The democratic process doesn't quite seem to be working, he said. The democratic process is supposed to be one person, one vote, but it turns out that money is talking louder than the votes, said Hansen. Peaceful demonstration is not out of order because we're running out of time, he continued. Hansen also expressed concern over the stance taken by the new U.S. administration on global warming. And those were the alert headlines. And now around the left in seven days for the week of March 26th, 2009. For more information on any of the events listed in Around the Left in Seven Days, go to CanadianDimension.com and click on Around the Left in Seven Days. 
British MP George Galloway was to speak in four Canadian cities from March 30th to April 2nd, but the federal Conservative government has now banned Galloway from entering Canada, preventing him from talking about resistance to war in Gaza and in Kandahar. Canada is now the only country in the world to ban a sitting British Member of Parliament, someone who has no criminal record. The Toronto Coalition to Stop the War is asking people to contact citizens, contact Citizenship and Immigration Minister Jason Kenney and demand that he stop his attacks on civil liberties and support the right to free speech by letting Galloway into the country. To view a sample letter to Kenney, go to nowar.ca. Haiti, We Must Kill the Bandits, has its premiere screening at the Harbour Centre in Vancouver at 2 p.m. on Sunday, March 29th. Directed by Kevin Pina, the film documents the rise of the mass popular movement for social justice in Haiti that is known as Lavalas. The documentary focuses on the events surrounding the overthrow of the popular elected government of Jean-Bertrand Aristide, including the role of Canadian military forces. The screening is organized by Haiti Solidarity BC. On Sunday, March 29th, the Coalition Against Israeli Apartheid is organizing a Palestinian dinner in Sanich, British Columbia, in support of Palestinian Land Day and the Global Day of Action for Boycott, Divestment and Sanctions. Speaker Ramzi Baroud will provide an update on the situation in Gaza and his upcoming book, Gaza, The Untold Story. Tickets are $20, $10 for the unwaged. On Tuesday, March 31st, Brian D. Palmer launches his new book, Canada's 1960s, The Ironies of Identity in a Rebellious Era. It's going to take place at the Gladstone Hotel in Toronto as part of This Is Not a Reading series. The book describes how the legacy of the 1960s rebellion contributed to contemporary notions of Canadian identity. The event begins at 7.30 and tickets are $5. For more information on any of the events listed in Around the Left in 7 Days, go to CanadianDimension.com and click on Around the Left in 7 Days. This is Alert Radio. I'm Jeff Hughes. The escalating death toll of the illegal drug trade in Mexico has prompted the U.S. government to state that Mexico is on the verge of becoming a, quote, failed state, end quote. Here in Canada, police confirmed that the recent spike in gun violence occurring in and around Vancouver is directly related to criminal gangs warring over control of the drug trade. We go now to Vancouver, North Vancouver, British Columbia, to speak to retired Judge Jerry Paradis, formerly appointed to the Provincial Court of British Columbia, where he served for nearly 30 years. These days, Mr. Paradis, having dispensed with his honorific title, is a columnist for North Shore News and member of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Jerry Paradis, welcome to Alert Radio. Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure to be here. Well, thanks for joining us. Now, will you please remind our listeners across the country what has been going on in Vancouver these last few months? Well, it it really is just the month of February and into the month of March. There were daily shootings. They've ebbed a little bit, but not much. They are all... uh, There there were a few um, violent episodes that were not related to the gang wars, as they're becoming referred to, but most of them... Uh, virtually all, but not quite all, were the result of um, various gangs in the lower mainland of B.C. duking it out for either uh, the retention of their status in the drug market or getting some status in the drug market. And innocent bystanders have been caught in the crossfire? They have, on two occasions in particular. And uh, that, that has been 
that is that is really what has um, riveted the public attention on it. Uh, the public would generally be uh, willing to say, well, let them kill each other if that's what they want to do. It, uh, it's all the better for us. I certainly don't subscribe to that, but it's a very reasonable public reaction. But when the uh, bystanders start getting blown away as well, uh, the uh, people tend to sit up and take notice. Well, I understand the response of the authorities is to hire more police officers. Will this reduce the violence in both the short and the long term? Well, I, I don't believe it will, but on the other hand, I have to, I have to say that uh, I can hear the tone of helplessness in the voices of the police officers and the politicians who are saying those things. And this is the third go-around in uh, less than five years. In 2004, there were gang killings of such a nature that the Integrated Gang Task Force was created with the RCMP and various lower mainland police forces. Uh, they obviously didn't succeed in, in putting a damper on things because in 2007 uh, it erupted again, and at that time they created the uh, violence suppression team, uh, and that, of course, has, doesn't seem to have suppressed a great deal. So um, now we're back doing it again. So all I'm pointing out is that uh, history tells us that uh, as long as the market exists, uh, those internal uh, internecine battles that go on every once in a while will continue to happen no matter how many police officers, prosecutors, or jail cells you throw at them. You presided as judge on more than 1,000 drug court cases over your career. What, yeah. do you, what do you think is the way to stop or stem this drug-related violence? Well, I, obviously, as a member of LEAP, my, my principal view is that we must... Uh, legalize and regulate and tax and educate and treat. Uh, that's the only way we can get around uh, the problems that we're facing. The market is created precisely because prohibition exists, of course. It's a black market. It's driven underground as a result of that. Those within it who have disputes among themselves can't go to a courtroom and ask a judge to settle this contract that they thought they had with each other, so they shoot at each other. And the stigma that's carried by drug addiction and that everyone has been conditioned to view as one of the world's worst evils uh, tends to drive people into ghettos, tends to put them in very vulnerable positions, tends to increase disease and death. And, of course, the illegality of the substances involved uh, is such that the price of them shoots up. It's still cheaper now than it was in the 70s and 80s, but it's still far more expensive than it would be in a regulated market, any drug. But it forces people to steal the addicts I'm referring to in particular because they're compelled to have what they need, and they're going to have to do what they need to do to get it. I don't include marijuana in that. That's certainly not part of that picture. Well, let's hear more about LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. I have to say mm -hmm. at the outset that LEAP is not uh, in favor of drugs. That isn't the point. It was founded in 2002 by five retired police officers who had all been deeply involved in the American war against drugs. Our executive director, Jack Cole, was an undercover officer with the New Jersey State Police for 14 years. He was right there at the, at the heart of things when the French connection was uh, the epitome of what went on in the American drug situation. So these are people who knew what they were talking about and understood that the approach taken, that is to prohibit and punish, simply hadn't worked. All it had done was enhance 
the market that was lying there underground, and for every trafficker they threw in jail, another one or two took their place. It's not like rape or murder. If you put a rapist away, he's not out there committing other rapes. If you put a drug trafficker away, someone else is going to jump into his shoes immediately because the profits to be made in that market are simply too great to pass up. So LEAP is in favor of ending uh, the dysfunction, if I can call it that, of the present policy, both in the United States and everywhere else in the world, and uh, creating a system whereby... Uh, drugs can be dispensed in a way that reflects their true potential harm, uh, and that may vary according to the drug. We may dispense where we we may sell cocaine, for example, powdered cocaine, in a very different way than we would sell crystal meth, or for that matter, uh, crack cocaine. Although those last two, I think, are reasonably relegated to the level of ghetto drugs. They are sought out by addicts because they are cheap, easy to transport, and easy to sell, and very unsafe. If they had, at that same price, a safer drug, the addict would use it. They would use it. So LEAP is in favor simply of creating a situation everywhere whereby those who are addicted get the assistance they need, those who aren't get the education they need to guard against using dangerous drugs. And certainly, I suppose the catchphrase would be, and everyone uses it in the organization, Drugs are far too important to be left in the hands of criminals. We spoke uh, on an earlier occasion about the uh, RCMP. Can you tell me if they are standing in the way or helping to champion reform of the drug laws? Well, they are certainly not championing reform of the drug laws. Uh, uh, whether they are standing in the way is hard to say. My, my personal view is that in some instances, yes, they have. Uh, for example, at a particular point when Insight in Vancouver, the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the the, uh, the supervised injection site that you've no doubt heard about, uh, was under fire. Generally, uh, there was a a radio program here in Vancouver that uh, simply had a discussion between the fellow who was then in charge of the Drug Information Bureau for BC for the RCMP and one of the physicians who had been deeply involved in setting up the program and uh, the project and monitoring it. That police officer, in the space of just uh, barely 10 minutes of airtime, managed to misrepresent, uh, mislead, and outright lie so readily that it led me to believe that he had to be speaking on behalf of the force. They certainly wouldn't let him speak his own mind. And if that was the case, it suggested to me that the RCMP has invested a great deal in the Canadian, whatever the Canadian equivalent of the war on drugs may be, and that they had, as a result, uh, vested enough interest in it that they weren't prepared to give it up easily. Now, I have no one who's ever told me that the police, the RCMP, are making an effort to stand in the way of reform of, of prohibition. But their activities and their comments over time have led me to, led me to clearly come to that conclusion. Can you comment on the Harper government and the war on drugs? Well, first of all, I don't think they think about it very much. I think they simply react to it. They, have, they consider they have bigger fish to fry, and I think they probably do. This is not the most critical issue in anyone's mind at this stage, particularly with the economy and the shape it's in. But even before the collapse of the economy, <clears throat> There were serious issues, Afghanistan was one, for example, that had a sort of tinge of drugs involved, but 
that wasn't the focus. I think the Harper government hasn't given the thought that's deserved by the issue of drug prohibition, but when it has, it has simply let its knees jerk and has simply assumed that the electorate would punish them dearly if they tried to make any changes to the existing regime. I think they're wrong on that, and I think they, they should quickly learn that and probably for once be, get ahead of the curve rather than follow behind it, but I doubt that that's going to happen. They're driven by old ideology that simply doesn't apply and has been proven to not apply by so many different studies. So much, so much evidence is so forcefully against continuing prohibition as a policy for drugs that it's incredible, except unless you explain it with ideology, that they should continue to take the position they do. I'm Jeff Hughes, and this is Alert Radio. We are speaking to Jerry Paradis of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And uh, I'd just like to ask you one more question. What, sure. should pe- what should people who agree with you do in order to encourage reform? Well, the crowds that I used to crowd, <laughs> the groups that I speak to, um, and I've spoken to for the last three years, Rotaries, Lions Clubs, uh, civic groups, university uh, students, and so on, I, I tell them that you know it took me 10 years of sitting on the bench to get away from the uh, early 70s orthodoxy that drugs were in themselves evil and had to be stamped out and prohibition was the way to go. So if it took me in the middle of all of that, that long to come to that conclusion, I can understand that undoing that conditioned thinking is a very tough thing to do. However, it's got to start somewhere, and I would simply invite people to start thinking outside that box, start looking at drugs in a more rational way, and if they are satisfied, if they are in any way convinced about uh, the, the, the evil that is the prohibition regime that we have, then it's for them to speak to others, try to convince others, and particularly try to convince the politicians who will make the policy changes that we're looking for. But in the meantime, they can join LEAP. It doesn't cost anything, and the more we show that we have growing membership, and it's gone from approximately 8,000 when I joined to now almost three, uh, 13,000. Uh, that was, actually, no, it was less than eight. It was seven when I joined three years ago. So it's growing uh, apace, and uh, I think that if somebody supports the issues that I've discussed and the way that I've discussed them, then joining LEAP is certainly one other way that they can assist in uh, helping the changes come along. Now, let me just ask you, do you have to be a former police officer or current member of the law enforcement community? Not at all. Excellent. Not at all. Anyone who cares to assist can do so. We have an enormous number of people, although most are law enforcement people, there's a great many who are simply regular people who believe in what we're saying, and some of them have volunteered to assist. So I have a volunteer here in Vancouver who assists in booking, uh, booking speaking engagements for me and so on. So that's the sort of thing that they could do to assist that as well. They could volunteer. Well, we here at Alert certainly appreciate your efforts to get the actual facts, the straight facts out there. So, uh, Jerry Paradis, uh, we're grateful for you joining us today on Alert Radio. I have looked at the LEAP website, and it's very impressive. So we encourage listeners to do that. Yes, and remember that Leap CC is the address. It's pretty easy because it's the only CC I know of. I don't think I've ever seen a CC before. So <laughs> it'll Leap. be easier for people to remember that. Leap at CC. Yeah, not just Leap CC. Leap.cc. Oh. Leap.cc. Instead of .com or .edu or whatever. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting domain name. I just don't know how they got that. But they did. It was good for them. 
Thank you very much for joining us today on Alert. My pleasure. This is Alert Radio for people who want to change the world, and I'm Jeff Hughes. George Galloway is a five times elected British Member of Parliament. Last week he was banned by Canada's Immigration Minister Jason Kenney on the grounds that Galloway supports terrorism and poses a threat to Canadian national security. This is the same minister that cut off funding to the Canadian Arab Federation that it uses to teach English to new immigrants. Many observers say he was punishing Federation head Khalid Muammar for calling on Canada to treat Hamas and another prescribed body, the Lebanese militia Hezbollah, as, quote, legitimate organizations. Similarly, George Galloway from Scotland has called on the West to recognize Hamas as the legitimately elected government of Gaza. Galloway was expelled from the ruling Labour Party in 2003 for opposing the invasion of Iraq and now sits in Britain's parliament as the sole member of respect and anti-war grouping. We have on the phone now with us from Calgary, Joshua Blakeney, a research assistant at the University of Lethbridge. Joshua is originally from the UK and was on the phone to George Galloway recently and speaking about his, re- his prohibition from Canada. Welcome to Alert, Joshua Blakeney. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. So you spoke to George Galloway on his uh, bi-weekly radio program. What did he have to say about being banned from Canada? Well, he was very shocked because, of course, Canada... Uh, always had a baby face. It always had. Uh, it portrayed itself as a country which respected civil liberties, and basically, uh, it's evident that that this is uh, rooted from the Israel lobby. That the that the Jewish Defence League were the ones who who, who lobbied this, and so um, I think there was some confusion because Mr. Galloway was originally told that um, it was because of his opinions on the uh, illegal war in Afghanistan, and then he was told it was because he led uh, a, co- a convoy of aid to the, the Gaza ghetto. Um, and, and, and so the message was confused. And then when he went on television on Channel 4, he was talking to a representative for the Jewish Defense League. So there was a great deal of confusion, I think, at, at some point, and a lot of sadness, because, of course, as a Scotsman, he has some, some deep and, and, and important ties with this, this wonderful country. So just shock and, uh, and wonder. Is this the end of the matter, or uh, is there a campaign going to oppose this ban? Well, fortunately, living in the Internet age, they can't really stop his message getting in. And Professor Anthony Hall and many others uh, effectively are trying to organize video conferences so his message can still be delivered. But um, really, this is a political decision. It's to do with the fact that um, people disagree with him who are in in power in this country. It was, uh, you know, the the decision was originally gazetted in in one of Britain's very uh, sort of gutter snipe newspapers owned by Rupert Murdoch. Uh, which has a picture of a, a topless girl on page three. It was a, it's a, one of our dirty newspapers in England. And the, the, so, so it tells you a lot about the kind of company the Harper administration keeps, right? Uh, so it was through the Murdoch press. And, and really, Rupert Murdoch's been having quite a concerted effort to um, traduce George Galloway, to, to paint him as some kind of terrorist lover. Um, actually, I'm, I'm somewhat of an expert on the man. I've, I've read all his books. I followed his work deeply when I lived in London and was part of the anti-war movement, I, I saw him speak. And anyone who knows Galloway knows he doesn't support Hamas. He supports Fatah, of course, and he always did support Fatah. Um, all his point is, 
is that, that, that he's not a fair-weather Democrat, that the people of Palestine should be allowed to elect whoever they want into government, regardless of whether it pleases uh, foreign governments in, in the White House and, and in London. And so really, he's a, he's a supporter of uh, Fatah, which isn't being acknowledged by any of the, the, the biased media that, 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 that's been um, portraying this story. On the Canadian Dimension website, there's an article that you wrote posted. And in this, you, co- you contrast the banning of George Galloway to the banning, or rather, to the allowing of George W. Bush to enter Canada uh, when he spoke in Calgary last week. Now, along with others, you accuse Bush of having committed crimes against humanity and war crimes. Uh, listeners can refer to our interview with uh, Tony Hall. Do you want to say any more about this contrasting treatment? Well, it's, it's the mother of all double standards. George Galloway is a five times elected parliamentarian, uh, and Canada is also a parliamentary uh, government. And, and, and George Bush is a, is a war criminal. And the Lawyers Against War, headed by a lady uh, named Gail Davidson, um, wrote to the Prime Minister, wrote to all the uh, relevant people, including Jason Kenney, who's the Minister for Immigration, and, and then told him you know, that under the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act and the Crimes Against Humanity and War Crimes Act, George Bush uh, should not have been admitted into Canada, yet they're willing to um, prohibit uh, a man who's widely respected in this country, comes to Canada regularly, uh, based really because they disagree with him. So it's quite uh, preposterous. We understand that there were some arrests at the uh, demonstration, and particularly there was a Mohawk activist and Attica veteran uh, named Splitting the Sky who attempted a citizen's arrest and was incarcerated. Uh, we also understand that he will be defended by Ramsey Clark, former Eternal G- Attorney General of the USA. What do you expect might come out of that? Well, we had a meeting in Calgary last night, and we're kind of uh, you know, writing history as it goes along, really. And uh, you know, if they are willing to arrest a man on TV dehumanize him, uh, they, they give him a good, good kicking in the, in the police cells, the least they can do is give him his day in court. And so uh, this morning at 9, 9 a.m., Splitting the Sky was going to court, to, not as the accused, but as the accuser, the police were complicit in the hosting of a credibly accused war criminal, and he should have been uh, apprehended. He wasn't. And uh, so Splitting the Sky, uh, Professor Anthony Hall, uh, uh, both of them are in contact with, with Ramsey Clark. Uh, and I think they, they, they didn't realize who they'd arrested, you see, because um, I think they just thought, oh, you know, a Native American guy, we'll just throw him in a cell and give him a good kicking, right? And they didn't realize that he, who he is, because he, of course, is a veteran of the, the Attica State prison uprising. And, of course, um, he, and that's how he, he came to have this very righteous lawyer. And so, uh, really, um, it's going to be very, very interesting, because he is uh, the one who was implementing the law and was arrested for trying to do so. So that really illuminates the, the hypocrisy of this situation. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts for our listeners uh, regarding the uh, banning of MP George Galloway to Canada? Uh, just uh, let's not follow the orders from Washington. You know, Canada, when I was growing up, people loved it. People had real deep ties with it. And it was a country that you know had a history of allowing the Vietnam uh, draft uh, dodgers into Canada. It's, uh, it had a long history of being, uh, you know, independent of the, the American empire. And really, uh, this, they've kind of defenestrated that, and they've, they've become a killer like the rest of them. And so we're asking in the anti-war movement uh, for, for Canada to have an anti-war government rather than a pro-war. As George Galloway said, uh, you know, it's quite preposterous he's being banned because actually he wants to save Canadian boys' life. He wants to prevent uh, needless deaths in Afghanistan, uh, and he... he uh, 
you know, he's a very eloquent man, and that's why they didn't want him to come, because he, he's a, you know, his message is a powerful one, and they basically disagreed with him. Well, on that note, we'll thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, we do hope that uh, your colleague, the, the uh, MP from England, will be allowed into the country. So thank you very much, Joshua Blakeney. Thank you, sir. In January of this year, a new party came into being in France. It calls itself the new anti-capitalist party, also known as NPA. We have on the phone in his office at the University of Manitoba, Professor Henry Heller, world-renowned historian of France and a keen observer of the French political scene. He's also a member of the Canadian Dimension Editorial Collective. Welcome to the program, Mr. Heller. Thank you very much. And uh, we're just going to get right into it. Quite a bit of information here today uh, about the NPA. What is so important, Henry, about this particular party uh, that's come up in France recently? Well, uh, France has a a lot of different um, socialist and communist parties, but I think what's distinctive about uh, the new um, anti-capitalist party is that it comes out of the uh, dissolution of one of the uh, of the two uh, main Trotskyist parties, um, the LCR, and uh, it it bases itself on the unity of the left, uh, breaking out of the sectarian divisions which have plagued French politics, and calling for a broad coalition of all of the different. Uh, um, left elements on the basis of anti-capitalism, which is very important because um, the the leading uh, left-wing parties, the communists and socialists, basically have become reformists. That is to say, they want uh, positive change within capitalism, whereas this new anti-capitalist party is based on the idea of really breaking in principle with capitalism as a system, and this is very important in France because uh, there is um, uh, a lot of anti-capitalist feeling in France, that uh, capitalism, if uh, you look at the public opinion polls, um, capitalism, uh, unlike other uh, countries like England or the United States or indeed Canada, anti-capitalism is popular in in France. Why at this particular time has the NPA come into fruition? Well, I think that um, the the NPA um, has emerged um, um, it emerged in in the course of the long struggles that have gone on against neoliberalism in France which particularly began uh, flared up uh, in 1995 when there was a major almost general strike in France uh, against the against the attempts to sort of ram neoliberalism down the throat of um, of the French public was it involved in last week's strike as well yes uh, the NPA has been at the center of the big demonstrations of uh, last week and in fact uh, what it has done since, uh, I mean, three million uh, workers were, were mobilized during the strike. It is uh, its uh, militants uh, who are well organized in about 900 different uh, localities are, are going into the factories and uh, trying to uh, t- uh, to make sure that uh, the uh, 
the resistance of the government is not merely economic, but that it turns into a general political movement. Let's talk about the leader uh, regarding this particular movement that's taken place. Um, it's Olivier, I guess it would be pronounced Besenseno, or? Yes, that's Lord. right. Okay, so we understand in the opinion polls, Henry, that he's actually equally as popular as the president, Nicolas Zarkozy. That's Zarkozy. right, <laughs> uh, which is, of course, a... a, a Extraordinary and exceptional in itself. Of course. And, uh, which, uh, because uh, he speaks in this very explicitly anti-capitalist way, yet uh, uh, his his popularity equals that of uh, Sarkozy. And the reason for the uh, what, why he is so appealing is that uh, the man is a postman. I mean, his father was a high school teacher, his mother a school psychologist. Um, and he, although he has a degree in history, uh, he is a postman, which in France, a postman is, you know, uh, Mr. Ordinary Joe. Right. He still works half a day as a postman. And he speaks in this very simple, direct, uh, very articulate way about the crisis of capitalism and the need for an alternative. And how did and he get so popular? It, what? How did he get so popular? Well, because uh, um, he speak, he, he is a simple guy who speaks very well, and uh, his um, clear-sightedness, his articulateness, and his authenticity appeal to the mass of the French population. Very interesting. And, you know, it's funny because... An ordinary guy is now equally as relevant and as important as the president. So interesting to see how that's going to unfold. And so yes. when we look at the different parties, obviously we've talked about the upteen parties in France. We've got the old Communist Party, the old Socialist Party, the Green Party. Are we right in saying that they have not folded into the NPA and are left-wing rivals of the NPA? No, they haven't. Uh, basically... Uh their uh, strategies basically, well, I mean, the communists and the socialists are essentially reformist parties. Likewise, I would say the Green Party. They, that is to say they want a better deal within capitalism. Um, and uh, therefore, uh, they're not prepared to fold into the NPA. What is really required at this point is, of course, a mass movement from below, which uh, would you know, bring things to a boil and really put the whole system into question. And this is the strategy which the NPA is uh, basing itself on, a call for unity across the left based on a mobilization of the mass of the population okay. against the existing system. Let's talk a little bit then about um, their politics in terms of their differing. From what I can hear, these other parties still want to be a part of the capitalist system, whereas the NPA doesn't want anything to do with it. The other parties really uh, uh, don't believe that the system, either don't believe or don't wish to believe that the present crisis is a, is a, is a, a crisis of capitalism. Okay. And they're just using the occasion to try and improve the position of the, of the, of the population, especially the workers, uh, within uh, this context of, uh, of crisis. Uh, the NPA, based on the reality that uh, many people in France reject capitalism and also uh, believe that the crisis is a profound one, 
are basically calling for uh, a um, general mobilization of the population against the system itself. And so can we talk a little bit about um, the chances of the NPA mounting a serious challenge to the present government uh, and to French capitalism? Well, I would say that, um, first of all, uh, the division of the left continues. Okay. Uh, secondly, I'd say that uh, the present government, led by the president, Nicolas Sarkozy, um, has succeeded in unifying the right in France. Um, business is behind uh, this, uh, this party. And uh, Sarkozy himself is a very clever politician, a very... Uh, um, smart uh, tacticianer. Okay. And that uh, as of right now, I would say that the chances of uh, such an ultimate crisis are relatively limited. But we know the history of France, and we know uh, what happened in 1968. And uh, the, given, given the, the crisis of the system, really anything could happen. It's up in the air. Okay. What I would say. And what about uh, Europe in general? Is there any other mounting challenges to governments that are taking place right now besides France? Well, I would say that France is an important example, always has been. Okay. But Greece is another country which uh, earlier in the year was racked by major, um, uh, major unrest by students but also by others. And it's important that uh, to note that... Uh, uh, these struggles are deeply rooted. It's not simply some students uh, deeply rooted in, in the dissatisfaction with the, uh, the whole sort of neoliberal order that has been imposed on the population in Greece. So I would say that Greece in particular is another country where there is um, instability. Well, we'll have to watch uh, this story closely with the NPA and see uh, where it uh, takes us. So thank you so much, Henry, uh, okay. for your insight on this. It's a pleasure. And uh, we'll talk soon. And that was Henry Heller, professor at the University of Manitoba. You're listening to Music is the Weapon. I'm André Clément. One Giant Leap is a concept band and media project consisting of two principal artists, they being Jimmy Cato and Duncan Bridgman. Based in the UK, the two musicians set out to create a multimedia project that would encompass a CD, DVD, and cinematic presentation that would offer a complete artistic statement. The project offers music, digital video, images, rhythms, and spoken word content. The theme of this concept album is unity through diversity. As such, the duo traveled around the globe for six months and engaged in collaborations with some of the world's most renowned artists, such as Nina Cherry, Baba Mal, Robbie Williams, and the Mahotela Queens. Here is Duncan Bridgman and Jimmy Caro's collaboration with Senegalese artist Baba Mal. This song is entitled Dunia Salam.
listening to music is the weapon today we are featuring a cd and concept project entitled one giant leap a project initiated by london-based artists duncan bridgman and jamie caro one giant leap explores the universal complexities of human nature and caro and bridgman set out on their journey recording musical jewels and words of wisdom with some of the world's most progressive thinkers writers and entertainers people like kurt vonnegut dennis hopper and Michael Stipe from R.E.M. Let's now listen to a second track from One Giant Leap. This one, a collaboration with South Africa's Mahotela Queens. This is Ma Africa.
Africa, the land of hope. listening to Music is the Weapon, and this week we are featuring One Giant Leap, a concept project by Duncan Bridgman and Jamie Caro. The duo traveled to the furthest corners of the planet to ensure immense cultural diversity in this time capsule of humanity at its most inspirational. I'm sure you'll agree. Jamie Caro said the following about this project. We're on a mission to make self-reflection hip for just a moment, just long enough to save us. If you're interested in this project, go to onegiantleap.tv where you can find broader information about this project and their newest collaboration entitled What About Me? Let's finish the feature this week with Bridgman and Caro's collaboration with African-American songwriter and activist Michael Franti. This one is entitled Passion. For Music is the Weapon, I'm André Clément.
focused and misdirected. The bullet and the flesh, the mind and the spirit, the sound when you hear it, the oppressor and the resistor, the brother and the sister. We are not walking with the ghosts of the dead. We are alive with the spirit of our passion. That is Alert Radio for the week of March 26, 2009. I'm Jeff Hughes. And I'm Chris Alby. And we hope that you will join us again for next week's broadcast. 
Have a great week. Thanks, as usual, to all the people that helped make Alert happen. Nash Soonwala for the headlines. Karen McIntosh for Around the Left in Seven Days. Andre Clement for Music is the Weapon. Technical producer Tommy Allen. And our executive producer, Saigonic. Alert Radio is broadcast on the Canadian Dimension National Radio Network. For today's episode, you can click on www.rabble.ca or go to the Canadian Dimension website for past shows as well as today's show at www.canadiandimension.com.